You may be seated, and uh, I want to pray for us as we get started. And, uh, you know, I know you noticed it after the baby dedication, you know, sound issues and no voices from the front, and, you know, it kind of throws you a little curveball. But here's what I love. I love that <clears throat> all that happened, and our team kept leading, and you started singing louder and louder as we went. And I know it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Right? We're, we're people that get real uncomfortable real fast, especially uh, people like us. But press through those kinds of things. Sing. Sing. Men. Sing. It is a shame to us men. When, if we were to step back from our congregation, all we hear are women's voices. I don't care if you sound like a croaking bullfrog. <laughs> Sing. Your Savior created you with the very voice that you have. And he loves to hear you sing. And when you sing, he does things in your heart that can't be done any other way. So I want to encourage you, church. Don't let technology stand in the way of you praising the Savior. I promise you, every meeting Paul went in, they didn't have a microphone. Not one. Not one. And they didn't have a full stage of instruments. They were most likely gathered in houses and common places, and they just sang loud for the whole world to hear. And that's who we want to be, isn't it? And so I want to pray that God would help us to step away for a moment, for just a little bit of time, and get into the Word this morning in Ephesians chapter 3 and start to grasp and unpack the calling God has on our life, which includes primarily worshiping Him and glorifying Him to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, please be with us. you in this moment do not work through your spirit and the proclamation of your word then nothing can be done nothing of any lasting any eternal value can be done unless you do it I cannot do it the people in these pews cannot do it Grace Fellowship cannot do it. The largest church gathering together this morning in the most significant place in the world is helpless and hopeless unless you, by your spirit, do all the work. And so now we bow our knee before you. The maker of heaven and earth, the father of the families of this earth. And we pray and plead with you to give us your spirit to fill us with all the fullness of who you are in Christ Jesus our Lord, that we might by his power and strength courageously and boldly stand in the gospel of his name and his name alone. And for his glory alone, would you do more than we could ever hope or imagine you would do. And God, when we lay our head on our deathbed, may we go with confidence across that chilly river of death because as we look back all that's left is what you have done do great things God even in this moment through this poor stammering tongue do great things it's in your name we pray amen our calling you know um, every year in January, we set aside some time to look back. We did that last week, look back at the year that's just passed us. And today, we want to kind of look forward into 2023 and beyond. And next week, uh, a little different than the typical January around here, we're going to have beginning this week, next week, and through the end of January, we'll be going through the church, really talking about what is the church. And so this first sermon really sets the tee for all the sermons coming the rest of January, where we're going to talk about the church member. What is a church member? 
Why, why are we members of a church, a local church? And what is the church? And how am I a part of it? And then we'll talk about deacons, the leaders of service in God's church. And then we want to talk about pastors, elders, those who are gifted to teach and to pray for the church and to help shepherd, under-shepherd the church under the care of Christ. So this month, we're going to, the balance of this month spent just talking about, not just this year, but hopefully springboarding from 2023 into however long we have left together, right? And so we, we hope it'll be energizing to you. And then in February, we'll jump right back into Romans 8. And I know all of you can't wait, I can't wait to be in Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be there 16 weeks by God's grace in Romans chapter 8, just dissecting it, okay? Really taking it apart. Some of you are like, oh my goodness. And some of you are like, yes. Hopefully by the end of it, we'll all be just saying yes. Right? And then in the summer, we jump into a psalm series. And we're going to study the psalms together, sing the psalms together. Our sister church is going to do it with us. And in the, the, the first Sunday of August, we're going to join together on a Sunday evening. And we're just going to read psalms and sing psalms. And read psalms and sing psalms. And pray psalms and beg God to work among our churches. I'm super excited about that. And then in the fall, beginning in August, we'll be in Romans chapter 9. And so uh, that's kind of the 2023 preaching calendar, right? Looking at that. And, uh, and, and, and I would say that today is crucial to what that will mean in our hearts and our lives and in this ministry. Today is. As we look at Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read our text and then I want us to kind of hear a, a little bit of a testimony, and then I want us, want us to really take a quick tour to get us to the passage so we can preach it, okay? And so, if you'll uh, read along with me, and, uh, and yes, I've got to pull out my glasses so I can see it very well. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth his name, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul, writing to us, and to, first of all to the church at Ephesus and then to us, in this great letter, one of our favorites around here, right? We spent a lot of time in Ephesians some years back just dissecting it, looking at it, preaching through it, talking through it, learning together, growing. But listen, I, I, I started looking at Ephesians again for this series of sermons. We're going to be here and then next week, Corey's uh, going to preach on what a church member is. We're going to be over in Ephesians 4. So we're kind of in this mini-series of Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4, and we're going to kind of hang out there, okay? And so we've been, I've been just saturating on Ephesians again, just reading it over and over and over. And here's something that just smacked me <laughs> in, in the gut, punched me in the soul, awakened me. It's possible to know about Ephesians. It's possible to be doctrinally right about Ephesians. It's possible to be passionate about the gospel presented in Ephesians and miss the heart of Paul's writing to Ephesus. Our minds can think the right things and our hearts can be disconnected. Have you ever been there? I want you to know that's where one of your pastors has been in his own life. You know, life is heavy. 
hard. God never promised anything different. He's not a salesman. <laughs> Jesus just right up front says, in this world, you will face many, many troubles. He promised it. Face many troubles. But the verse down in there does it. What does he say? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. The world's hard, son. But your older brother, Jesus Christ, is carrying all the weight. And your mind can know it and your heart can be disconnected from it. And that's where I've been. To the point that, you know, the pastor really has two things in his job description. Only two things. Acts chapter 6, the apostle said, Let it, choose for yourself godly men, spirit-filled men, to take care of these practical things. For we must be given to prayer and the word. Period. End of the story. Right? I'm not talking about the modern job description for pastors. It takes about eight. Uh, if you ever applied for a job, you'd know as a pastor. There's about eight pages. And then at the end, they say, and all the other things we decide we want you to do. But when you're new in the ministry, you pick up those pages and you flip and you see all the, hey, I got to do all of this stuff. Even at a great place like Grace Fellowship, it creeps in. Because you start thinking there's more to do. I got a lot to do. I got to see this person. I got to go here. I got to help here. I got to start this ministry. We're weak in this area. I got to fix these things. I got, I got to do better. And it's the seeping guilt that begins to burden you. That I can't, there's not enough hours in the day, and I'm failing my family, and I'm failing the church. And you start getting imposter syndrome. You start feeling like, I don't know if anybody knows, but I don't qualify for this job. And I hope they don't figure out. How can I keep them from figuring out? Do more things. Make yourself indispensable. And then that starts to be a real big burden. And every day another brick. Another brick. Another brick. And before long, you know how to pray, study the word. And so then praying becomes a duty. It's not a delight anymore. You just get down and say, Father, I'm here again. Um, I got a lot to get done today. Please, God. You know, I just want to survive. I want to do well. Help me. Strength, you know. And you say a few things and you get up and you get busy. You sleep less. You work harder. This is what the Bible calls that. The Bible calls that sin. And so I stand before you today, and I tell you, I'm a sinner. And I have no excuse or no one to blame. It's on me. Because I'm blessed to have pastors who watch after me and try to take burdens off of me and encourage me. It's not their fault. And I have a congregation filled with beautiful sheep. You are the best congregation in the world. And what you need is you need me. To bow my knee before the Father, who is the Father of all who are called His own, the family of God from every nation. And you need me to pray. And I've prayed, and I don't, don't hear this as a sob story, it's not, not that I've never prayed before, not that I don't regularly pray but what I'm trying to tell you, and maybe you can understand, is you can pray without really praying, fervently praying, right? And I've been, I'm, I'm telling you, I've been there, so, you know, I'm sure some of you have been there. Like, where you're praying, it feels like you're praying, it's hitting the ceiling tiles, it's, it's, it's really not going very far. And here's the great thing about God, because I want to 
I want to glory in God. God takes all of that mess I just described to you in pastoring, and because he's a good father, he says, I will do things. I will use him, even though he's a failure. I will use him because he's a failure. I will use him, and I will bless the church, and I will do my work. But what his heart longs for is for me to enjoy him in the work and to join him in the field and to do what he's already doing so that then he can celebrate and be glorified in what is done. I don't know from the first 20 years, we're on our 20th year here, I don't know. And, and, and there was a part of me at one point in prepping for this that was started trying to dissect things. And we, we're bad about around here about myself included, chief among you, <clears throat> to want to dissect things, right? Well, how much of it has been my energy? How much of it has been God's energy? Well, maybe this thing, maybe, well, well, you know, that, well this. And then finally you're just like, Lord, even in that, Would you just do, would you just forgive me and would you just do your work even though I've messed it all up? I don't have anything, Lord, to give you. I have no, no thing to be sure of in this life, like to hold up and say, well, if all of it else burns up, there's still this. After the examination of my own heart, my own life, personally, this is where I'm at. I don't know how much of it will last the eternal fire of judgment at that day, which 1 Corinthians 3 plainly describes, I don't know how much, I don't know how much of my personal work will last. But this is what I know. Even if none of it lasts, and I stand naked and trophyless before his throne, I will be saved by him. And so I rest in it. I just take it to the Lord and say, it belongs to you. Grace Fellowship belongs to you. If they will be pastored well, you got to do it. You're the great shepherd of the sheep. You're the one who can do this. And, and, and at that valley moment, my testimony to you is you feel very discouraged. You, you feel like, man, my whole life may be burned away. It may be dross. It may not stand. I don't know. I hope. I pray. And, and, and you can get in anxiety really quickly. I know I can. And, and then, you, then you just say, okay, I got a sermon to get ready. <laughs> and so I got to, I got to quit. I got, I, got, I got to quit focusing on all of this broad stuff and just look, what is it that the Lord would have for Grace Fellowship? What is it? And you start to plead with him. And then you read Ephesians. And this is what you realize. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 we, we, me, we have categorized that mostly as the doctrine of the gospel. The work of God in the gospel. And then four through six, practical outworkings of the doctrine of the work of the gospel. And I don't, I don't back up on that. It still breaks down very well that way. And I think it's Paul's intentions, the way his mind works. You look at his letters, they're often broken down like that. Right? So I'm not disputing that. But listen, here's what you find. 45% of the words Paul wrote in the first three chapters are not sermons. They're, they're, they're not teaching. They're prayers. What do you know? The great apostle wants to write to Ephesus to say, this is the church you shall be. This is how you became his, and this is how you stay his, and this is the work he will do through you. And so what does he do? He prays, and he preaches the word. Almost 50-50. And what did I say? In Acts 6, we see there's two jobs on the job description. Pray and study the word and preach it. Pray and study the word and preach it. And so we have in, in Ephesians a perfect picture of what it looks like in the church to pray and study the word. Pray and study the word. And so, so it's not an interruption. You know, like people like me, 
Now, you're not guilty of this, but you just had to tag along with my self-confessions here. We read chapter 1, and we don't even see a prayer. Don't raise your hand. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of a prayer. He's not sermonizing. He's praying. Spirit indwelt Paul, the apostle, is writing a letter to the people he loves at Ephesus. And what does he do? He starts recording his prayer. You know where it closes? Verse 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him a head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 3 through 23 in chapter 1, prayer. Then a sermon in chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But now he's teaching. Teaching them. And he goes all the way through chapter 2, teaching, preaching. And he comes to chapter 3, and what does he do? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, that sound eerily familiar to verse 14, doesn't it? For this reason, I bow my knee. You see, chapter 3 begins in verse 1. He's about to start praying again. But like any good preacher, he can preach any time, day or night, in the middle of a prayer. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the Gentiles. Wait a minute. I need to explain that to my, my readers. Assume, see the dash? Assuming, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. And then he has a little mini sermon in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verses 2, all the way through verse 13, he has a mini sermon. And then 14 picks up our text. And what is it? He's praying. And he's just writing down his prayer. Maybe you've always seen that and it's just jumped out like that at you. But I preached through it. And I tended, especially in chapter 1, to turn it into teaching and not really focus on the fact that it's praying. It's praying. So what, what, what am I wanting us to see? The vision at Grace Fellowship is worthless, no matter how ingenious it is, unless God does the work which he intends to do in us. And the only way we can get that is by praying. We can't get that by knowing more, studying more, preaching more. We can't get it that way. It's not how God designed it. You want to know how can Grace Fellowship reach its full potential? Pray. Pray. Plead with God. He's the only one who can do it. And that's what the apostle knew. I can't do it. I'm not in Ephesus. Even when he was there, I think he believed this. But he's not there anymore. He's in prison. He's separated. How is he going to help Ephesus be the church that they should be? He's got one weapon. What is it? What? I bow my knee before the Father. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed that Ephesus would be the church that God had called them to be. And through them that we would be the kind of church God wants us to be, church. You see, Paul wasn't as concerned with the formalization of prayer as he was with walking daily in prayer. What he called praying without ceasing. Daniel was talking with me Thursday. He's kind enough, you know, he got a phone call. He's busy, but he's, he's, I said, hey, would you talk with me? And he said, sure. So he gave me 30 minutes. And we were talking, and Daniel said, we're talking about this text, and I'm, I'm all excited and, and scattered and all over the place. And Daniel said, Hey, I just got a question. Why did he put this prayer in here? What, why is it here? And, you know, it was a great question. Why? why? Well, I, I wrestle with that, and here, here's what even then I said, but I'm more confident today of it. This is why I think he did it. Because two things. One, he knew no other way to live his life than to, than to live it by prayer. 
It was the most natural thing for him to be talking or preaching and praying. Writing and praying. So what we should expect from that kind of life is like these prayers that jump out of the page as he's just going along in his train of thought, all of a sudden he's praying. Not like he, in other words, you know what I'm saying? Like we draw boxes, don't we? I do. Uh, get up at five, five, go in, make some coffee, sit down, say a prayer. Say a prayer. Read the Bible, pray for the church. Get up. Now, get busy doing what you do. Go, 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 go. Get to the end of the day. Maybe a prayer here or there during the day. Then we get there at home, and, and there's kids, and there's craziness, and we sometimes we get around to family worship, and we, we end it with prayer, and the kids go to bed, and I lay down, and I pray. At the end of the day, another box. Lord, thank you for this day. Help this, do that. You know, on and on. You know what I'm saying. Boxes. Paul didn't live in those kinds of boxes. For Paul, every time... His eyes were awake and his brain was working and his heart was engaged. If him and Eric Davis were having a conversation, what Paul knew was Eric and Paul and God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are here in this conversation. So if I'm talking to Eric and all of a sudden prompted by the Spirit, it's like he needs help. I don't write it down in my phone. Note to self, tomorrow morning at 545, pray for Eric. I think Paul would have just been like, put his hand on him and said, let's just pray. Oh, God, we need help. I don't have answers. You do. You see what I'm saying? It was the most natural thing for Paul to engage with you and engage with God and engage with you and engage with God and engage with God and engage with you. He was walking in prayer all the time. Praying without ceasing. Why? Because the power source of his life was the Spirit of God. He didn't know how to live life any other way once he came to Christ. Once God radically saved him, he didn't know how to live on his own strength. And if he did, he knew, and I'm sure he failed, he knew that's not it. And some of us, some of us, me included, Live way too much of our life as if God's in a box in the morning and a box at night and the rest of it's what I do. And what we need is for Paul's mindset to get in our mind and heart and the mind of God to get in our mind and our heart so that we're just talking with God. Talking with God. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. Man, that's a lot. That's a whole lot, but here's what I believe in a nutshell. What he's saying is, is that God the Father, who we address by prayer, is pleased because he is our Father. You see what I'm saying? He's our Father. We're not praying to a king. That we are, but we're not. We're praying to our dad. We're praying to our father. We're praying to one who's intimate with us. We're praying with one who's near to us. We're praying with one who is inexhaustible in his riches. We're praying to one who has an unlimited bank account in heaven. And he loves, loves, loves to give good gifts to his children. And he's brimming with it. He wants to give it to us. He's not begrudgingly giving it to us, is he? Oh, God, here you come. Here's a few little things. Now go your way. Do your thing. Don't bother me. I got a lot going on up here in heaven. Paul knew our Father in heaven is a good Father. His phone line is never busy. He's never answering somebody else's text message. He's not talking to you and listening to someone else. He's here with you. And with me. And he loves to hear us pray. And so he just bows his knee. He said, I want the church at Ephesus to grow. So I'm not going to teach him about prayer. And I'm not going to give him a seminar on praying. And I'm not going to go through a six-week sermon series on praying. I'm going to pray. And we get to look at it. The Father in heaven loves when we come to him with our faces raised and our knees bowed, which is not how Hebrew people prayed. They prayed standing up, head towards heaven, 
eyes open, arms out. This is how they prayed. Except a few occasions, like when King Solomon dedicated the temple and walked in and knelt down on a kneeler at the altar and lifted his head to heaven, bowing and prayed. And what did he ask God for? That you make this a house of theology. Make this temple a house of theology. No. In 1 Kings 8, he didn't didn't ask for it to be a house of theology. Make it a place where we could train people to really be able to do some really good spiritual work. Training center, that's what we need. No. No, when he came to the temple and he knelt down on that kneeler and he lifted his head towards heaven... He said, make this house a house of prayer. Isaiah, same thing, Isaiah 56, make this house. The Lord's house is a house of prayer. And Jesus Christ, when he cleansed the temple, he said, zeal for your house has eaten me up for your house. My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. It was so much ingrained in the early church that when they talked about coming to a corporate service, the way they recorded it for us is they said, we're going to prayers. Not to preaching. That's how I think. That's why I get in a ditch so much. Like, I got to think about, we're going to the house to preach. No. Go to the house to pray. Even when you're preaching, pray. Don't ever cease praying. Don't ever cease. Keep on praying. That's what Paul knew. The father loves for his children to come praying without ceasing before him, calling on him who is near to us, that he would give the riches of his glory, the riches of the magnificence of his glory, the light of the glory of the Son of God in a treasure. It's a rich treasure that he's giving to us. How will he give it? He will give it. He will grant it. He will give it to us so that we're strengthened by the power of his spirit. Praying is a spiritual work. Praying is not a lazy man's work. Praying is not just wasting time. Praying is not just something that we do occasionally. Praying is a spiritual and an exhausting work. It might be why we avoid it sometimes. It's one reason, right? I might not want to pray because this is going to be, if I really get into, into praying in the Spirit, this is a, I'm going to leave tired. Emotionally, spent, wrung out, convinced that I can't do anything to make what I just asked God to do. I can't come up with a plan to do it. Convinced that my efforts and my programs and my attempts may be good, but they'll never be enough. Convinced that if the only way this church is shepherded is through the strength of the elders of Grace Fellowship, the church will suffer. Because there is a shepherd. And we but under shepherds. And so if he doesn't shepherd and we follow his lead and let him shepherd the church through our skills, abilities, and talents and efforts and empower all of those things, it's for naught. We need the strength of God by the power of God that comes through the Spirit. It comes through the Spirit. Well, it's communing with our inner spirit, the man alive, so that Christ, you would expect, I would expect after that, that the Spirit would dwell in us. But it, notice how he says Christ. Christ dwell in us. Richly. In our hearts. Through faith. So believe, so prayer to the Father. Who loves to give good ch- gifts to his children. Re- results in him through his goodness. The riches of his glory. Giving us the power and strength to live our lives. By the Spirit 
in exaltation of the Christ who dwells in us. Rooted by faith. Rooted and grounded. Paul used two pictures, metaphors, and he mixes them, which will get you in trouble in English class. Thank God Paul didn't have your English teacher or my English teacher. He was following the Spirit. Rooted and grounded. Rooted is an agricultural word. Roots down into the ground produce fruit on a tree. Grounded is an architectural word. We build a building. How? By laying a foundation of it. We're founded on. We're grounded in. That's what he's saying. In what? In love. Supernatural, God-like love. If we become the church God desires us to be, and Paul is praying for Ephesus to be, the characteristic that will set us apart is love of God and love of our fellow man. Beginning in the household of God. How we love one another. Jesus said they will know you by how you love one another. Prayer is essential in this. I quickly want to run to the end here. Listen, all of this is true. All of this is true. That we might know the breadth and length and height and depth. I read a story in James Montgomery Boyce's uh, commentary about this where it was talking about a man died. He was shackled in prison. And on the wall, in his skeleton form, what they found when they opened the prison cell was a cross etched into the side of the wall. And above it... It said the heights, and below the cross it said the depths, and at the left beam it said the, the width, and at the right beam it said the length. The man died holding on to the cross which expresses the height and depth and width and length of the love of God. If any of us in here doubts that God loves us, let us look at the cross of Jesus Christ. How can we believe that he won't give us everything we ask for in the spirit when he's already given us his son if he's given us his son church if he's given us his son do we think he won't give us the job that will bring most glory to him do we think he won't give us the money it takes to pay the bills and put food on a table do we think that he won't save our neighbor, our son, our daughter, our grandchild, because he's just beyond him. It's just beyond him. You know, it's a little too far of a stretch. Around here, we exhibit how much we struggle to believe this about our God. I do. I don't talk about any other elders. I just talk about myself. The rest of them are great. That's why we don't just have one of us. Because one of us is real bad. Listen, I'm rocking along through the church here. Everything's wonderful, roses, peaches, and cream, man. We get to October and start talking about the next year, looking at budgets, and I start looking at money. Corey knows. And I go in his office, and I, I'm fretting. Now, Corey, uh, we're behind. And, you know, we, need to, we need to ask. And Corey always says this, hey, man, if we got money problems, we ain't got problems. No, I don't think you understand. Look at the spreadsheet. Let's look at it again. I don't care about that. God owns all the animals on the planet. Cattle on a thousand hills. He will give us everything we need. See, that's why you got to have more than one pastor. Because one's worried about the budget and doing the spreadsheet. And the other one is saying, if you got money problems, you ain't got problems. Just trust God. He'll give it to you. Man, man, this year... I was just going along, I was thinking, I, beginning of the year, 2022, resolution, not going to worry about it. But then October came. <laughs> then October came, it's a long way from January to October. And I find myself there again, all the way to the end of the year. To the very last minute. Not outwardly, inwardly, like, I don't know if we're going to, we, Lord, you, you know what we wrote down at the beginning of the year. I know you know, but I'll remind you. $728,000, Lord, that's, we, we committed to that. We got missionaries dependent on that. We got ministries dependent on that. We got families dependent on that. We got church staff. We got 
Bible studies, all kinds of things, Lord. And then Andrew sends us a recap this week, yet Friday. He can't even get it quick enough. I'm, I'm texting him. Hey, you got, I call him. He's like, I, I got it. I, I'm going to get it to you. He sends the recap. $830,000 came in. Not because I worried about it. Because God owns it all. And if he has determined to, through you and your giving, bless the ministry at Grace Fellowship, it's done. And me wringing my hands and fretting and reminding constantly and looking and pouring over spreadsheets, that ain't why it comes. It comes because God, through his great goodness, says, I know what they need. So, not only that, but you spend less than you plan to spend. And I don't know how that works, because we got some guys that love to spend some money. They're itching to spend some money. When we get to the end, it's like, well, we spent $29,000 or whatever it was less than we planned to spend. Well, it's just huge excess. And then the needs begin to roll in of ministries and members. And you say, not only did you take care of what we had to have in that 12 months, but you gave us enough in that 12 months to start taking care of the needs that would be at our door on January 1 of 2023. We serve a good God. We serve a faithful God who if we will bow our knees before him, he is the father of all of the redeemed of every nation on this planet. And he, he will give to us according to the riches of his glory. To, that, we, that he will do that to strengthen us through the spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. What a blessing. Forget the money. Forget the ministries. Forget the programs. Forget all of that. How about we just bow down and pray? How about we just bow down and pray and say, Oh God, I don't have a clue what you want to do. I got some ideas, Lord. Here they are, but man, do something. So that the knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That word, the dwelling aspect here, is not that he takes up residence newly, freshly, differently, for the first time, like a stranger who visits a home, but rather like one who takes up permanent, deep, abiding residence with you. That Paul is saying that the fullness of God may reside forever in you. That, that's familiar, right? Because in the other epistle of this same time frame, from the same jail cell, he wrote to Colossae. And what did he say? That the fullness of God was pleased to dwell where? In Christ. Here he says, the fullness of God may dwell in you. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. Not just us, not just Ephesus, but millions of congregations around the world bowing their knees before the Father in heaven and crying out to Him to give us strength of the Holy Spirit that Christ might dwell in us and then we might know the love of God, the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of God so that the, full, the knowledge of the fullness of God may dwell in us. That's a vision for the local church, isn't it? That's better than any campaign you could ever start. I don't care about charts and, and fancy doodads and graphics are great and, 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 and convincing people to get involved and pleading and guilting people to do more. All of that, that that's for another day. What we need to do is pray. What I need to do is pray. What you need to do is pray. What we need to do is plead with God. Well, you got to have a plan or it's going to be chaos. It's going to be chaos. No, I'm not joking. 
This is church, if we start doing this, things are going to start happening, going to make everybody in this room, myself the chief one, very uncomfortable. Man, we're going to walk in this place and it's going to be like, I can't find a seat. All these people that don't look like me, smell like me, talk like me, walk like me, educated like me, have the same money as me, they're all sitting in my seat. Jack Miller, Paul Miller's dad, that happened in his church at Mechanicsville. And Paul gives a testimony that when he went to his dad and said, Dad, he left for a while, he came back, and the church is filled with all these people that are very different from Orthodox Presbyterians, and we won't get into that, but they're, they're a pretty high and toity group, very educated. And when he left to go, to, go away, that's what his church was, but he came back, and there's these hippie-looking people, people off the streets, all these things. He went to his dad's office and said, what's going on? He said, what do you mean? He said, the church looks different. He said, son, when you start asking Jesus to make out the guest list, you don't get to tell him who's on it. Jesus loves to have people who nobody else wants. That's why he wanted me. That's why he wanted you, because nobody else wanted you. And because he said, those are weak, meaningless people on the face of the planet. Mine! Mine! And with those meaningless, worthless, uneducated, not very powerful, not very mighty people, I will be made to look wise. I will be made to look strong. I will be made to look rich. I will be made to look perfect. I will be made to look glorious to the world. Because everybody will walk by Grace Fellowship and go, I don't know what's going on in there, but it can't be that bunch of misfits. Something else is happening. Exactly. Come join us. Come on. I think you're on the invitation list. Come on. I'm not dressed right. That's perfect. You're dressed good. Let's go. You got your clothes on. You're good. Let's go. Come on. The prostitutes and the drunks and the people who don't have a home May we pray. May we plead with God so they will have a home. And if we have to get up and sit on the floor to let them have a seat, may our children leave for four years and come back and say, this place doesn't look like the Grace Fellowship I left. It's a whole nother place. What's going on? Pastor Carlton must be doing something. Yeah. Yeah, what changed, Junior, is Pastor Carlton quit doing it and started asking God to do it. And the people did it. They prayed and asked God. They stormed the gates of heaven to get to their father's lap and say, I got needs and you're the only one who can fill it. Give me your strength. Give me your spirit. Give me your power. Give me the fullness of your presence, Lord. And as I go out of this place in this closet of prayer, Lord, and I go to school and I go to work and I go to the here and I go to there, help my mind remember my heart and know that you're with me in that place. And don't make me a coward. Make me strong so I can stand firm. And when things come to my desk, may I ask you first what we should do about that instead of just doing it on my own. Lord, change me. Lord, change my family. Lord, change Grace Fellowship so that he makes the list and we just get to enjoy the fruit of it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Don't you like that? All the superlatives of Paul. Far more abundantly than all we ask or think. You might insert dream. According to the power at work with us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ. Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we lay our heads down and die, folks, what do we want to think about and what do we want people thinking about at Grace Fellowship? That God did far more than they could have ever imagined, dreamed of, thought about, planned for, given money to. I told Corey, I, I walked in his office, sat down, confessed my sin and he's a good pastor and he accepted me and loved me and was so excited and we prayed 
and all I, all I could think was, Lord, I don't want to tell you what to do. I just want you to do whatever it is you want to do. And if you would be so pleased to let me just come along. A vision Sunday is not supposed to sound like this. The ones in the past have not sounded like this. But what I've just described to you as best I can is what Paul Miller calls the powertrain of the church. Your car has a powertrain, right? Even if you're not a mechanic, it has a motor, it has a transmission, it has the things, the axles that put the power into the wheels. Here's what it's like, church. We can have a fabulous, we could walk out there and in that little flat spot right there, there could be the most beautiful, fantastic Mustang that's ever rolled off the lot. Man, we could walk out there. He said we overgave, but I didn't know he bought a car. Everybody's impressed. Look at that. Sit down in it. Look at it. Look at all this interior. My goodness, I bet that stereo's thumping. My goodness. Carlton, would you mind? Hey, could we go for a ride? Absolutely. I love to give rides. Jump in. Well, you go around getting the passenger seat and you notice I'm not getting in. And then you notice it. There's this rope with a harness. Put the harness on. You ready? What are we doing? We're going for a ride. And I started pulling. And I get it rolling. It's rolling. We're rolling, man. We're rolling. You got your arm out the window in the passenger side over there. Pastor Carlton's pulling. Everybody out there is not going to go, dude, that's the best powertrain, man, I've ever seen. That thing's booking. No. And if we take all the pastors and put them in harnesses and say, pull this fine-looking Mustang. Pull it. And when they gave all their might, nobody's impressed. We get up on the pow pass up there after we take hours to get up the hill. <laughs> and we're bored with it. Where's this thing going? What are we doing? And we're on a ride. Ain't this great? We're dying at this point. We're weighed down. We can't make much progress. It's grinding to a halt. It feels like somebody's got the brakes on. We can't, we're, man, we're straining. We're work. The problem's not we're not working hard enough. The problem's not that we don't know what a car is. We know what the car is. The problem is that somebody, somebody should have had the wherewithal to get inside the car and turn the ignition. Whoom! Over 700 horsepowers in that baby. And we hit the gas, and it melts the tires off. What I just described to you is what so often I'm guilty of. Is God's given us a life and a church that is the best that there ever has been. And I want to harness up and make it go. With my effort and my work and my talent and my abilities. And like, we got a whole race going on now, don't we? In Calhoun County, just alone. There's hundreds of churches. That's some astronomical, I don't even want to guess. Like 300 plus churches in this place. Mind-boggling, right? But we're all out here on the interstate, all harnessed up. Who's got the strongest pastors? Let's see who can do it. Or the strongest deacons. Or you could get the whole church harnessed up. Boy, they got it going. Woo, they're getting downtown. They're, they're right there. But what I'm saying, what Paul's trying to tell Ephesus is, if you want to truly experience what your Father in heaven, your good Father wants for you, get on your knees before Him and beg Him to give you the riches of His glory through the Spirit in Jesus Christ. The full knowledge of his fullness in love towards you. Start asking for that. Start pleading with him for that. And the ignition flips on. Whoa! And all of a sudden, Nyong! how did that Mustang go so fast? 
Change pastors. Change pastors. The deacons are messing it up. Get them out of there. We got some terrible pastors meetings, deacons meetings. We got some terrible people. I'm telling you, they're a sorry lot. We can't even motivate them. They, 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 they got good people. Then, when, then, you, then, then you realize, oh, wait a minute, there's no harness on that. They're not pulling it. What are they doing? Well, they've hooked into the power train of God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And now, the power that they're experiencing, the wonder of how fast this car will go is just exuding out in front of them. And I know as I say that, you're like, well, you're getting wooey now. Like, I was, uh, I was with you for a while, now you've gone too long, and you've hammered us about something that, you know, I mean, we've tried this whole prayer thing. I just, I don't know. Well, what I want to just close with and call Jacob up to do the, because the group is going to sing for us, and then we're going to have a benediction, is this. This is what Paul says, that the mystery of Christ has been granted to him to explain to the Gentiles and the Jews what God's doing. And look what he says, go above our passage in verse 8, to me, though I'm very least of all the saints. Paul didn't think he was pulling this thing. Paul didn't think he was doing it. I'm the least. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light Every, for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? Don't you want to be a part of that plan, church? Don't you want to be a part of that work, church? That's what I want to be a part of. What's the plan, Paul? Hidden in Christ. What is the plan? The plan of the mystery hidden in ages, for ages in God. Who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that has, he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, with whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. That's a description of prayer. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Listen. The purpose and plan and vision of God for his church is that the manifold glory of God might be displayed in the goodness of God and the love of God given in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's not just displayed to this world. What did he say? To the powers and rulers and authorities. And we know from chapter 6 he's talking about the demons. There's a cosmic display of the power and glory and love of God through Christ Jesus at Grace Fellowship if we'll just hook into the power train. Pray that God would give us more fullness of his being through the spirit in our inner being to the glory of Jesus Christ, that the love of Christ might be known in and through us to the ends of the world so that more than we could ever think or imagine might be done in and through his church. That's the vision. That's what we want. Isn't that what you want, church? In is it? It's hard to commit. Because here's the thing. If that happens, we got no control over it. He don't give us a brake pedal. You hit the gas through prayer, the Spirit drops Jesus into the manifold, man, and it is on. You got no hope of controlling it containing it, organizing it. It's chaos. Mass, glorious chaos so that the demons and Satan himself tremble at the church. That's what God's vision for our church is. I believe it with all that I stand here with. And I myself want to go on this journey. I'm out of the harness. Y'all help me stay out of it. I want our guys to be out of the harness. I want you out of the harness. And I want us all in the ride with Christ. Praying for him to do what only he can do. Let's pray, Father in heaven, as we close this time and as we call on your mighty name. We are talking about things that are so far beyond us in this moment that we, we have failed 
to display the fullness of it. We've seen maybe a glimpse of it. And Lord, we don't even know what effect it's having. We really don't. Not in my heart, not in their hearts. We're dependent on your spirit. So God, through your spirit, would you, would you bring us to the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord and strengthen us in our inner man to know the love of Christ which has no end, is eternal and goes beyond all of our needs. May you have glory in this church. May you be famous in this church. May you be lifted high in this church. And may you bring the many to this place that we could never hope to reach. And bring them that they might learn and grow and pray. Study your word and pray till you come again. It's in your name we pray. Amen.